This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Finding Your Bliss, a show that helps you find and follow your bliss. Today, we are joined by one of Canada's leading television, movie, and theater actors. He's also an esteemed director. Avery Saltzman is on the program. Avery Saltzman is a Canadian actor and theater director with a career spanning over 42 years in the business. He co-founded the Harold Green Jewish Theater Company in 2006 alongside David Eisner, and he's also the co-artistic director of the Harold Green Jewish Theatre. He was born and raised in Toronto and is considered to be one of Canada's leading character actors. Ted Pappas, the co-artistic director of the Pittsburgh Public Theatre, has called Saltzman a theatrical Swiss army knife capable of whipping out whatever tool is necessary to communicate the nuance in any role. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette calls Saltzman an artist capable of understanding and communicating the humanity in the most inhumane of conditions. He has worked with practically everyone in the business in the Canadian musical theatre scene and beyond. He went to York University in their theatre program, and somewhere between third and fourth year, Shaw and Stratford beckoned and were auditioning theatre students all across the country, and Avery was invited to go to the Shaw Festival and appear in their first ever musical, which was Lady Oddly Secret in 1978. He never went back to school. He was hooked. After spending many years as an actor on Broadway in New York, television, movie, and stage actor Avery Saltzman moved back to Canada from New York City and... We as audiences are thrilled because we have had the pleasure of enjoying him on stage, both as an esteemed actor and as a director for so many years. Avery Saltzman, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you, Judy. Oh, my God, it's so weird to hear all those. (laughs) I saw my life pass before my eyes. What an incredible journey. I have to tell you, it was my husband who told me this, that in 1993, When I was on a second date with my husband, Cliff, whom I've been married to for 25 years, he took me to see a play. And the play was Little Shop of Horrors at the Canadian Stage Theatre Company. And I believe you played Seymour to Louise Petrie's Audrey. And you were phenomenal. And I went on, not only was it phenomenal, I went on more dates and eventually married the guy. Can you take me back to that performance and that time in your career? Well, first of all, I'm glad your marriage worked out, so I don't (laughs) want to feel responsible. Well, you know, it it, it was such a great experience. I had known Louise for so many years. I mean, years ago, there used to be this thing called industrial shows. You know, they were product-related shows that you sang and danced in, and it was you're all you were singing about um, products. And these were Shackley shows, which were um, you know to sell vitamin supplements, but. We started out as kids. I mean, it was myself and, and Madeline Paul and Louise Pete and Jane Lewis and Kathy Michael McGlynn and Brian Mackay, Wanda Cannon. We all started when we were in our 20s doing these shows. And that's where I first met Louise. So we had kept in touch. And Marlene Smith was producing a summer season at the St. Lawrence Center. And I always wanted to play Seymour. I mean, I, I think Seymour is one of those everyman roles. It could be any type 
any shape. It's just someone who's searching for love. And it's the same thing with, um, with Audrey. And it was just a really lovely time to connect with Louise. And uh, it was really a joyous experience. And it's a great part to sing. And I'm really thrilled I had the opportunity. A funny thing about that, how I got that job was um, I was doing a little shop and Marlene Smith was producing Napoleon, you know, this big mega musical Canadian musical. So I wanted to, because uh, little shop was very popular. I wanted to leave uh, when my contract was up, but Marlene said, uh, would you mind staying an extra week? I said, gee, I really would like a, some time off. It's been a long time since I've had some time off. So I said, well, you know what, Marlene, you, I'll give you the week if you give me a part in Napoleon. <laughs> so I gave her the week and I was cast in Napoleon. Wow. <laughs> That's a great story. That's such a great story. It's such a 360 degree turn in that you directed Louise Pietre in Montreal at the Siegel Center very recently in a production of The Times They Are Changing. And what an ironic title, eh, Avery? A absolutely. You know, this was a show that we originally uh, created uh, at, for the Harold Green Jewish Theatre Company, and it was all protest songs of the 60s. And then we created it a couple of years later at the Siegel Center. What's phenomenal about that show, the times they are changing, which is so relevant now, is that those people like, um, you know, Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and uh, Cass Elliott and uh, all those wonderful, incredible singers, Simon and Garfunkel, they were writing of the times in the 60s and how relevant they are in the 2000s. Nothing, nothing has changed. You'd think we'd, we'd have learned by now how to give of ourselves and to be open with each other and to treat each other with respect and love. And I, I hate to say it, not, nothing has changed. And it's quite uh, uh, depressing at times that, you know, we're, we're in the same boat. We might think we're a little better, but, uh, but our, our, our bliss hasn't continued. You know, we're, we're still trying to find that inner, inner sense of self. I think that, that, that it keeps us on to, uh, to, to be strong and be impartial and to, to love one another. I, I think the bliss, though, for so many people, and I know for you as well, is uh, is absolutely uh, theater, having live theater. And this time has been very challenging for so many people. And I've been so thrilled to see you on live streams uh, with Gabby Epstein and with other people, which we'll get to later on in the interview. But but it's been so great that you're you know pivoting and making it still happen because I think people need theater. It's not just a luxury. It's it's one of the, one of these things that I think really. Does does lift people up and bring them bliss. It feeds the soul. It really feeds. It, it really feeds the soul. And we have to forget if it wasn't for the arts, if it wasn't for people watching Netflix and and all the other TV stuff, we'd be lost. And theater is so transformative in the best of times. Absolutely, it's absolutely so true. What was your inspiration for wanting to direct the show? Times are changing, and what was it like working with Louise Pete and Joe Matheson on this on this piece in Montreal? Well, we approached them originally when we did it about three years ago. Uh, I wanted to do a show with Joe and Louise for a long time, and we came up with this idea. I basically called Louise on the phone and said, I have this idea. Can David and I have a coffee with you and Joe? And we talked about the idea. And, uh, you know, L Louise is one of these type of performers that theater has to resonate in her soul and her heart for her to give up of herself and her time. So she and her and Joe really love the idea of these protest songs. It doesn't happen overnight, and we work 
over a year culling the best material, finding the interactive tissues that would keep the songs, you know, following a, an interesting through line. And the beautiful about some things, things about these songs, each of them was a, a monologue in itself. Each had a story to tell. And so Louise and Joe really attached themselves onto the spirit of these songs. And uh, we created the show and it soared both here and in Montreal. Isn't that wonderful? And and hopefully it can come back again when this is all over, which is going to be soon, Avery. I believe that positive law of attraction, right? Uh, <laughs> you were featured recently in a wonderful live stream interview and performance called Big Girl and Friends, hosted by professional performer, director, writer, producer, and arts educator, Christopher Wilson, who's actually one of my daughter's teachers at Sheridan. Oh, fantastic. And it was so wonderful to see you with Gabby Epstein and Christopher Wilson supporting the Actors Fund of Canada. And this is the second live stream I've seen you on, the first one being Gabby Epstein's one-woman cabaret show that was done by Stream Stage and co-produced by Harold Green Jewish Theatre. And, and, and of course, you, you, you sang two songs in it, and I love them. I loved you in both. Are you finding it relatively easy to work in this new medium? Because it looks like you're doing it with effortless grace. Well, I've managed to um, horn myself into a lot of people's <laughs> shows, you know, because I, I love I love performing. I really do. No, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I had 30 wonderful years of acting. So when we founded the Herald Green, uh, I basically took a, a shift in, in the way my life uh, went. And uh, so I didn't have the opportunities that often to perform much anymore. So um, when, when the opportunity arises, like in our fundraisers and such, and if I have, you know, I'll, I'll sing a song or, you know, a couple of years ago I did a, I did a play and uh, that, that's enough for me these days. I, you know, to, to be able to sing and enjoy and I did, I, I, I love it, but I don't need the eight shows a week anymore. Sure, sure. When you played the iconic role of Tevia in Fiddler on the Roof in grade 13 high school, you had a moment where you knew that this was it. Can you tell us what happened that night when you were standing in the spotlight and knew that this was what you had to do with the rest of your life? Yeah, it was, a, it was an epiphany. Um, I, can, I can remember it as it was yesterday, and I think it was 77, I think, a, a while ago. I, I sang If I Were a Rich Man. Remember, I'm 18 years old. I finished singing, and I'm in a spotlight, and my arms are outstretched, and the applause comes over me. And I was bathed in something quite luminescent it, 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 and it wasn't just the light it's uh, on the outside it was the light on the inside of me and i felt that this is what i'm supposed to do with my life i um it it, it really came to a uh, a shift in, in my in my thinking that this is what i am this is who i am this is what i think i should be doing and i needed to follow that light that voice my inner voice and uh, I, I really never looked back. It was quite a transformative moment. And I can remember that as if it was yesterday. Mm. You know, I watched you sing it in, in this uh, Big Girl live stream with uh, with Christopher Wilson. And it was so interesting. The beginning, I was just laughing and loving and enjoying it, you know, as, as everyone does. And in fact, our Finding Your Bliss crew were the same. We were all sort of snapping and clapping along. And then I was in tears. And then I was happy. And then, and I thought you take audiences on an emotional journey 
of ups and downs and bathos and pathos and laughter and tears. There was just something about it. And, and, and I knew this was on live stream. This is not in a professional recording studio, but it didn't matter. It just was, uh, it was so great. What do you love about that song that you sang for the first time? Because I know there's a little bit of a theme with that song in, in, in your career. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's storytelling at its best. I think all the stuff that I used to choose for my auditions and such um, always uh, had a story. I've always considered myself, Judy, um, an actor that sings, not a singer who acts, which to me is a big difference. So I always approached everything from the lyric first. And here's a man who's on his journey. And if I had this and if I had that. But you know what? He, he realizes at the end of the song that it's his moments in, in, in repose and in reflection to where he's rich. And it's rich that he has his wife and his daughters. That is his wealth. And to me, that speaks of, of, of everything. So that's why I feel so connected with that song. And that's what I try to find in all the material I do. But I, uh, I don't think I'll get tired of that. I've never sung it either in a full production. I'd love to play Tevya <laughs> one of these days. Maybe I will. And we'll have to send this radio show and podcast out there and maybe make that happen. <laughs> Put it into the universe. Put it out there, exactly. Uh, Teresa Tova once said about you, Avery, you can sing anything and so well. Playing on Broadway is every actor's dream. And you were in the pajama game on Broadway. Wow. And we have a clip of you singing in the pajama game. It's 1997. Can you set this up for us? Sure. I think what I have for you is um, it's the opening of the show. And uh, the overture's finished. Uh, the overture, then the orchestra starts up again. And I skip out and I sing this song. I introduce myself and I'm telling the audience what they're about to see for the next two hours. Awesome. Let's have a listen. Pajama game is the game I'm in. And I'm proud to be in the pajama game. I love that I can hardly wait to wake and get to work at eight. Nothing's quite the same as the pajama game. Oh my God, that's so fabulous. I just want to hear more and more. It's so great. <laughs> you want to hear a funny story, Judy, about sure. that? I, I played Heinze. You know, the part that Eddie Foy Jr. played on stage in the, and in the movie. And we, uh, it was at Lincoln Center in the State Theater, which is 3,000 seats. So Marlene Smith and Madeline Paul, who directed me in Damn Yankees at the Royal Alex, came to see the show. And we had a little, uh, coffee the day before. And I, and I told them that Judy Kay, who also started the show, you know, she, uh, we did Kismet together at the Alex and she won a Tony for playing Carlotta in Phantom. I said that when she enters, I mean, you know, people on Broadway love her. She gets entrance applause. And I said, I had never got entrance applause, but I just say this in passing. So anyways, the next day, Marlene Smith comes with Madeline Paul. I skip out. I start to sing the pajama game. And I hear among 3,000 people, two people clapping. <laughs> I started laughing on the inside, but that, uh, that just made me laugh. That's so cute. That's such a sweet story. Avery, you always loved theater. Ever since you were a kid, you went to theater camps. And in fact, your father was from New York. Your grandmother was an amateur actress in the Yiddish theater. Do you think this influenced you to become an actor? Or was it just part of your DNA from the time you were little? I have to think it was part of my part of my DNA because I have two older brothers who, you know, 
are not talented in, in, in the least, you know, can't sing. I, I played piano. You have to play. I used to play in the clubs in Toronto. Um, I played piano. I sang for my grandmother all the time. I used to uh, put records on and sing for my parents, my friends. I just, I just loved it. I wasn't shy. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe if I look back, maybe it was a, a need for attention. Who knows? I really never went that route. But all I know is that I really had, I felt I had a calling. And I was um, always through my parents, um, they always said, follow, follow your heart. I mean, follow your bliss. If it makes you happy, that's the route you take. And, uh, and that was the route. So uh, it's, um, it's, been a, it's been a glorious journey. It really has. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm quite honored and I'm quite... Um, I just love that this is where my life has journeyed. It's so wonderful. Thank you. During your studies at York University, somewhere, as I mentioned, between third and fourth year of majoring in theater, you were invited to perform at the Shaw Festival. Right. And you were actually in the first ever musical there at the Shaw Festival, Lady Audley's Secret, in 1978. And I think you mentioned that your parents came to one of the shows and actually said, uh, wow. Uh, like they realized this, this is it. You were, this is what you were, you, you let them know this is what you were going to be doing. What was it like being in that first professional production? Well, it was really interesting because I mean, it, prior to that, it was, um, they had never done a musical. It was the first, uh, first of its kind. It, it was a melodrama that Marie Baron starred in. And, uh, I was in the course, but it was my first show it was between third and fourth year university. And, uh, it was the courthouse. It was the first time a theater at the Shaw Festival it was air conditioned also. So basically it said courthouse, air conditioned, Lady <laughs> Audley's secret. You know? but, uh, it was great. And um, I never went back to, to school. Um, my faculty advisor said, um, you know, start working. But the funny story about that, I thought you were going to say that when I told my parents that I had been offered work from that, um, I was standing on the corner. We had had dinner and I said, you know, mom, dad, I, I'm not going back to school. Well, they're, the color drained <laughs> in their face. I think they realized in that moment that this wasn't going to be, this wasn't a phase that I've actually been offered other work besides this, uh, besides the Shaw and um, they, they let me fly. So it, it was, it was, it was wonderful. Isn't that fantastic? And I and I know it's so funny you say Maria Marie Baron. I she uh, just adjudicated my daughter and said some lovely things. But she also was at Sheridan for many years. I think running yes. the musical theater program. What what was she like as a young actor? She was fantastic. I mean, if you know Marie, I mean, maybe students will know that side of her. But she had a wicked sense of humor. And remember, she was only. 28, 29 at the time and already had great success. Uh, so she was funny and the most gorgeous of voice and really so beautiful inside and out. She was fantastic. And, you know, Ang Angela Fusco, a Beth Ann Cole. It was really a great learning ground for a, for a young actor for me to come into that troupe. And, uh, and because, I mean, it, we, we, most, most of us, shows at Sean Stratford, I mean, now are rep companies. We weren't, all we did was eight shows a week of Lady Audley Seeker. We didn't do any of the productions. So we became very close and, uh, and I still see some of those people to this day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And Sheila McCarthy choreographed that show. 
Oh my goodness. It's, yeah. it's like, it's a, a, when I, when I sort of was preparing for this show, I thought this is like the who's who of Canadian theater. You know, it's, it's amazing. Ted Pappas, who's not Canadian, this was from, the, from Pittsburgh, said about you, and I quote, with Avery, I tend to protect him, involve him, inspire him. I have to be my very best when he's in the rehearsal. I have to be prepared because he can handle a lot more than most actors. I have to have a lot of energy, a lot of patience, a lot of curiosity while he works. Can you tell us what it was like working with Ted Pappas? Because he was obviously a huge fan of yours. Oh my God, was he ever? I mean, is he ever still? I mean, we're still very good friends. I met him, um, Judy, uh, when the Canadian Opera Company was doing a co-production with the Mervishes of Kismet. And all the other, there's uh, Judy Kay, John Reardon, was who, which was a huge Metropolitan Opera star, Beverly Lambert, Michael McGuire, who ended up running, winning the Tony for Les Mis and Angera. Um, those were the four leads coming from the States. And there was one more part uh, of the Wazir that was a, a lead. And I auditioned for it. And I got the part. And that was my first show at the Royal Alex. But from that, with Ted, I did a production of Mount of La Mancha at the uh, Pittsburgh Public. I did a funny thing happened in the for- on the way to the forum for him. I did Pirates of Penzance for him. Wow. I did Pajama Game. That was my entrance to New York. He called me and said, would you like to be on Broadway? And that's <laughs> how I got to New York. And wow. uh, yeah, so that, so from meeting Ted for auditioning from Kismet, there you go. How wonderful, how wonderful is that? Isn't that incredible? Yeah. What, what, what makes a great director, Avery, and why was he one of your favorite directors? You know what it makes a good director, which I've learned from him also, is to get out of an actor's way. You hire an actor because you know their reputation or they've done a great audition, and you let them soar. I mean, yeah. you have guideposts that, you know, you guide them along the way to get to the, you know, to impart on your overall vision but you have to be open enough to to change, to listen, to park your, park your ego at the door and realize that these actors sometimes might inform you more than you know. Because as much as you read the script, they, you know, the, the actors will read the script in a very, very different way. And they're very protective of their characters. I, I may have an understanding, but I might not have really the in-depth psyche and heart that the actor who himself imparts of their own knowledge onto the role. So that's where I have to just be open and let an actor soar and then guide and shape and get everybody on the same piece of paper. That's so cool. I think you once said you, then you can be the third eye. You can be that third eye, that perspective. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You have that third eye looking, looking above. You're that, you're that drone flying above trying to find shapes and patterns and, uh, and, and, and single thoughts and single heart waves and, and heart beats. So you can all come onto the same uh, page together. That's so cool. Am I, now I'm not sure if I'm if if I'm mistaken in this or not, but did I see you in a production of Man of La Masha with Hal Linden in Toronto? No. Or am I dreaming that? Okay. No, but we did have Hal Linden. We Hal we brought Hal Linden in to do Tuesdays with Maury. Okay. Wow. Wow. At the Royal at the at the Winter Garden. No, I never did. I never done. I've never done a production of Man of La Mancha in uh, Toronto. I did. I played the barber at Theater New Brunswick, but all the other Sanchos I played were in um, Pittsburgh and then in, in, in Covent Garden. Wow. 
Wow. Well, we have a clip from Man of La Mancha, and we'd love it if you could set it up for us. Uh, Sancho Panza has been sent to Aldonza. Her real name is Dulcinea, but Don Quixote sees the beauty in everybody. So he sends his his little slave, uh, Sancho Panza, to, to deliver this missive to um, Dulcinea. And uh, but Sancho and Quixote call her Aldonza and Aldonza asks, <laughs> why do you follow this man all the time? And this is Sancho's reply. <laughs> so here is Avery Saltzman singing from Man of La Mancha. Make me freeze, make me fry, make me sigh, make me cry. Still I'll yell to the sky, though I can't tell you why that I That was so wonderful, Avery. <laughs> Everything you do is so feel good. You really, uh, you just have a way of making people feel good when you're on stage. Well, they're great. They're great character roles. And as my mother used to say, why are you always playing idiots? <laughs> I, I said, no, ma. That's what you call a character role. My mother couldn't understand why I couldn't play the leads in all the shows, you know? I mean, the good looking leads. <laughs> but an interesting, with that song, Judy, I mean, we I recorded a, a, a CD of that and I, we got the chance it was with the BBC Orchestra but we recorded it at, at the EMI studio it was in London and the EMI studios were the old Abbey Road so I had a chance to spend a week at Abbey Road and the ghosts in that studio the no studios were amazing the old Beatles studio still stayed there with the old baffles on the wall and the ladies who ran the cafeteria that was inside Abbey Road had Amazing stories to tell about the Who and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and all the people who had recorded there. That that to me was a a great highlight. I think of my of my career is just to be in the company of those that spirit. Wow! I just got the chills from that story. That's so amazing. Yeah. You you did a major a major major thing for Toronto and for uh, just for so many people for actors for the Jewish community. Tell us about your brother from another mother. David Eisner, your co-artistic director, how you met him, and how did you know when you first met him? And I believe you knew each other all the way from high school, but how did you know, or did you know, that he would be involved in a partnership for years to come? Never, never. <laughs> who, who, who can know when you're, when you're both, when you're 15 and 17 or 16 and 18, we're two years apart, David two years younger. But Judy, that, that to me, the synchronicity of life, I find fascinating. You know, that if you look back on the people you meet, whether bad or good, or, you know, whether they feed you a positive or negative view, you have this connection of some kind. And David and I had this relationship growing up. We were both kids dreaming of wanting to be actors. And who knew? I mean, if when as young teenagers that we'd be spending the last part of our lives, uh, you know, um, together, basically. Um, we kept in touch over the years. I mean, we were living in Los Angeles at the same time. You know, every couple of months for we get together for lunch. 
how you doing on birthdays, we'd call each other, you know, because we had that connection as kids and we followed our bliss, you know. And um, and then David had just come from a reunion of Leopoldson's Theater where he was a kid and plays there. And like the Siegel Center, it was attached to a Jewish Y and they did great productions. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't do Jewish plays all the time, but they did a lot of theater. And so David had just come from a reunion. We were talking over lunch that Toronto never had a theater company that devoted itself to telling the Jewish story. And he said, um, would you like to start one? And me and my naivete said, sure. <laughs> you know, said, Why not? Little did so, you know. Little did I know. So <laughs> exactly. So we did our due diligence. We talked to every, pretty much every artistic director across the country. And it took us two years to get to our first show. And just last season, we celebrated our bar mitzvah year, our 13th season. And it's... Um, it's been a beautiful journey. He's my brother, and it's great. I mean, we argue, we fight. I mean, we fight over creative, but it's good arguments because we're 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 arguing about the the authenticity of what we want to do with the Harold Green. You know, we want to do the best work, so that's where our arguments lie because we love the product and we love the work so much. But it's been a blessing, and it's been a great um, it's great been a great way to spend the. Um, senior years of my life i guess i'm 64 you can call yourself a senior but uh um, i don't i sure don't feel like one i feel still feel like that 20 year old meeting david for the first time (laughs) i know i know what you mean i know what you mean do you think that maybe going to israel might have had an impact on you doing this i know your mother was very orthodox and your dad not as much but you you say when you went to israel you felt very spiritually connected do you think that this maybe might have uh, moved you in this direction, or well, I went to I went to Israel while David uh, the Harold Green has already had already been formed, and uh, the um, Israeli consulate invites artistic directors from across the globe to Israel for a thing called the exposure of Israeli theater. Uh, we have to pay our flight, but they pay for our food and hotel, and you're inundated in theater from ten o'clock in the morning until eleven o'clock at night. So. No, I didn't. I had no desire to go to to Israel. Um, I, I was born into a Jewish household, but not religious, but very spiritual and very cultural, which, uh, you know, um, so uh, I didn't know what I would feel. But I went and I I felt a connectiveness that I didn't think I'd feel. And it took me by surprise, especially when I went to Jerusalem and when I went to the Wailing Wall. I, I I mean, our mandate is, you know, we tell stories 5,000 years in the making. But when I was standing there in a country where stories have lived that long and, and it was the birthplace of all religion and all religion basically practicing the same thing as to love yourself, love your fellow human being. And I just felt that cultural connection, which I never thought I felt. So it just... um did it change the trajectory of anything? I, I don't think so, but it just it just opened my heart a little wider to accept um, my Judaism more into my heart, which the Harold Green has allowed me to do. We do a lot of outreach to Bay Crest and to Temple Sinai and to synagogues, and I really feel a connectedness now that I never felt really growing up. So it's been a really opening of heart that I felt on this last, on this latter part of my years also. Wow. That's so beautiful. I love, I love to hear that. Avery, we're going to go on a short commercial break. Lots more coming up with Avery Saltzman back in a moment. 
Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you, continuing to provide remote consultations. And there's exciting news. With the easing of government restrictions, Create has resumed services for fertility testing and treatments. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740, FM 96.7. And I've been having a wonderful conversation with actor and director Avery Saltzman, who's also known, by the way, for uh, television roles and film roles, television appearances in PSI Factor, Chronicles of the Paranormal, Pale Saints, and In Love and War. Uh, Avery, before, welcome back uh, to, <laughs> to you. Finding Your Bliss. Before I get to some of the actors you work with, I'm going to say the name of a show first. And I want you just to tell me 25 words or less about that experience. Okay. Okay. So first up, what was it like playing the devil in Damn Yankees? It was great. It was a production that um, we did in grade 11 also, but I didn't get the part I wanted. They they wanted me to play Van Buren, the head of the baseball team, but I wanted to play the devil. (laughs) And I finally got the opportunity to play the devil of the Royal Alex. And and it was, uh, I, I love that show. I love those old, old musicals. It was a great, love the experience. Playing, thank you. Playing the Wazir in Kismet at the Royal Alex. Also, my first entry into the Royal Alex. It's still one of my favorite theaters. It was like, it's like playing in your living room. It's that intimate. And I just loved being in a beautiful, beautiful, extravagant production. No money was spared. It was a co-production between the Canadian Opera and the Mervishes. Oh, so fun. Playing Edna and Wilbur standby in Hairspray. Uh, for viewers uh, who maybe not know what standby is, a uh, person who basically is not in the show but waits in the wings for the lead to go on vacation or fall ill. So I covered two roles, the husband and the wife. But because I covered Edna, I had to shave my chest and uh, <laughs> and arms for close to a year, and I would oh, not dear. wish that on my on my enemy. So, but it was a gr- I got on quite a bit, and it was a great experience <laughs> in so trust funny. because you don't have the you don't get on stage until it's your first time. The the, the lead is sick. 
They call you, you go on. So you have to trust that you did your work and trust in your higher power and you dive in. Wow. That's so exciting. What about playing the baker in the premiere of Into the Woods? And was that with Loretta Bailey? That was Loretta Bailey and Dan Shamroy and Kathy Michael McGlynn and uh, Marianne McDonald. Um, <gasps> oh. That show changed the trajectory of my life, Judy. Um, uh, I wrote, um, it, it's all about, that play is all about conscious choice. And over the years, I've studied Course of Miracles and Marianne Williamson. And I used to teach a class in spirituality for the actor about making choices, you know, that we go in, in our lives, we go into the woods and, you know, sometimes we take these paths and sometimes we, we get to the end of these paths and we're into a dark place. And unless we make that choice, you know, someone once said that miracles are a shift in perception. Once we make that choice, we can take that other path out of the woods into light or into love. And I wrote Sondheim in regards to one of the songs in that. And he wrote me back saying that, you know, whatever choice you make, will be the right one because it comes from you. And I came out of the closet during that show. I think I was destined to at one time in my life because I was working towards that and I wanted to come out clean and healthy and I came out very late in my life. But that show helped me come out because I realized through other therapists and and that, but, but Sondheim basically and those lyrics helped me make the choice to be my authentic self. And that's what I think Into the Woods is about. It's so universal in nature of how we all take those paths. But in, unless we have, until we can come to the cho- time in our lives when we're able to make that other choice to take us out of the fear and into the love, that's what life is all about. And that's what the show did for me in a nutshell. Wow. wow. More than 25 <laughs> words, but. Uh, like, <laughs> so worth it. It's okay. Yeah. And you know what? I, I may want to ask you back at one point to talk about Marion Williamson, who I love as well. And about uh, spirituality. A return, to love was, and, a return to love oh. was my Bible. And it, it was very much earmarked as much as I love Rilke and Gary Zukov and uh, Deepak Chopra. Marianne is basically a muse for me. She is awesome. Maybe awesome. one day, one day, who knows, maybe we'll get Marianne and you on the show together. Oh my That'd God, be really be unbelievable. unbelievable. <laughs> That'd be great. You did the original workshops of the Susical with Andrea Martin, and I know you've worked with her many times. Tell us about Andrea Martin. Well, Andrea, uh, uh, I first met her we uh, year, years and years ago, but we ended up doing the Susical. Uh, Garth Drabinsky um, was part of um that was one of his shows that he was helped develop. And I played the Grinch in that production. Then it went to Broadway and the Grinch was cut out. So I was cut out too. But Andrea was lovely in that. And then we ended up doing Candide on Broadway together. And then I asked Andrea to do a fundraiser for us. So she came down and uh, her and I got a chance to sing Do You Love Me from Fiddler on the Roof because she did the uh-huh. revival with Harvey Firestein. So that was a wonderful highlight. She's a, she's a lovely lady and a, and a lovely friend. Oh, that's so wonderful. What was it like performing in the sweet smell of success with Ed Harris, Jonathan Price, and John Lithgow? It was great to be in the room with these men. Marvin Hamlish wrote the, all the music, and Craig Carnelia wrote the lyrics. So to be in the room with these fantastic people was amazing. And I did all three workshops, did about six months of workshops, and I didn't get the job. <gasps> When oh, it went to Broadway. <laughs> oh, gosh. But I bet there were still great things. You know, in all of these experiences, great things come out of the experience, even down the, down the way, right? Like when you don't expect it. Oh, my God, yes. You played nicely, nicely in the 50th anniversary of Guys and Dolls at the Royal Albert Hall. And right now we have a clip of you singing 
sit down. You're rocking the boat. I'm going to ask you to set it up, but I also want to tell our listeners, if you want to hear a great belt, it's about to come. So uh, I love hearing you sing this. So tell us about uh, sit down. You're rocking the boat. Well, it's it's the eleven o'clock number in Guys and Dolls. It's nicely, nicely, and he, you know, he he, um, they're they're they have to come into Miss Sarah's um, church to profess there that they've been changed. So they turn they turn their their eyes towards nicely, nicely, and they ask him to tell his story of why he gave up gambling for the love of the church. Here it is. Sit down. You're rocking the boat with Avery Saltzman. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was at Royal Albert Hall. It was the fiftieth anniversary of Guys and Dolls. Julia McKenzie directed it. She was uh, she was the original side by side by song time and the original witch in the London version of Into the Woods. And uh, it was it was glorious. I mean, and also in that production was Emily Lesser, Frank Lesser's daughter. Oh, wow. And Joe Sullivan, who's Frank Lesser's widow, she had casting approval and she was also there regaling us daily with stories of Frank Lesser and uh, his writing. And it was just... Um, it, it was just a, a glorious, glorious. It was only for uh, two nights only. And uh, yeah, so to have that opportunity, it, it was It's like a dream, wonderful. right? There were, these are all great yeah, dream, dream roles and yeah. dream experiences. I'm going to mention some incredible people that you work with and are very close to. I'd love, I'm not going to do the 25 words, but I'm going to ask for you just to give a few sentences about each one of them when I say their name, starting with, and I, oh, I get the chills when I say his name, Mandy Patinkin. Ah. Uh, uh, an idol, uh, he, uh, a, a, a brilliant man, a nice man. We we brought him down to do three performances of Mama Lotion. The last performance of Sunday afternoon, all the sound went out, his mic. So basically he sat at the, sat at the lip of the stage, sang his whole concert a cappella, um, basically, no, and, and then also no mics. So beautiful. Uh, I'll never forget that experience. Lovely, lovely man. Oh, that sounds so glorious. Yeah. Hal Linden. I know we've talked about him already, but just a few words on Hal Linden. He did Tuesdays with Maury for us, a, a workhorse. He was uh, 88 at the time. After every production, he went downtown and played his saxophone in bars. Mm. Yeah. That's incredible. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Spent his life in the arts. And there you go at 88 to be still present and still loving every minute of that's, it. That's the best. Joel Gray. We also brought him down to do a conversation. Uh, I, what can you say? The guy's an, an icon, uh, you know, in the days of Mickey Katz, you know. And he, you know, his father was a vaudevillain, a Jewish vaudevillian. And he regaled our audience and us backstage in stories of his career. Didn't once talk about cabaret, just talk about his father and all the Yiddish theater that he had done. Oh, that's so awesome. Sheila McCarthy. Sheila, oh my gosh, Sheila and I have become very good friends over the years. Like I said, she, I first met her as she choreographed Lady Audley Secret, but we ended up doing a play together at the Harold Green that Jake Epstein wrote with his mother, Kathy Kaser. We played husband and wife, and we're just very, very good friends. And she's just, um, the, the lady's a star in Canada and one of the nicest people you could ever meet. Let's speak about that two of my favorite siblings, Gabby Epstein and Jake Epstein. 
Well, I make them call me Uncle Avery. <laughs> I, I love them so much. I find them, they're just extraordinary and uh, brilliant performance. But you know what makes them th- that they're great people. They love each other. Kathy and Ian, their parents are amazing people. You can say they raised those kids brilliantly. It's just a, a menstick of a family. I'm, and I love Jake and Gabby so much. And uh, I will hire them time and time again. And like I said, they become friends. And I love being called uncle <laughs> by them. That's great. And we had a lovely um, show with Gabby. Yes, here I and, listened to it. It was oh, fantastic. Just, just enjoyed that so much as well. Um, Eric Peterson. Yeah, great, great Canadian actor. He did a really fantastic piece for us called Model Apartment by Donald Margulies. A very difficult piece for our audience. It's about the, the, the legacy of the Holocaust, Holocaust on children. And, uh, he, uh, he was extraordinary to work with. He, you know, he, had, our, our mandate is to do Jewish plays, but we don't have to hire Jewish actors or directors. And he came out of that experience never really having played for a community. That's how he found our audiences. He loved being part of the Jewish community. And it was a great experience for him to be in that, in the, in the presence and the spirit of our uh, identity and our culture. It, uh, a really mensch of a man also. Mm. Okay, so here's one that makes me sad to say, because I think he was truly one of the greatest actors. I interviewed him many times. And of course, that is our beloved, the late Brent Carver. Mm. Can you please tell me about your relationship? I know you directed him. I know you had quite a wonderful relationship yeah. with Brent Carver. It is, it's just been a heartbreaking thing this summer. It's heartbreaking. To hear this yeah, yeah it, was, it was so sad. Oh, I don't even know even where to start, but here was an actor who... I think walked on a different plane, Judy. Uh, he, he was translucent and transcendental at the same time. He, um, he, he, he didn't have a false bone in his body because when we put our show together with him, if it didn't, if it didn't resonate with his soul, he couldn't sing it. It was an impossibility. So every lyric, every song, every note, every intention had to be true of spirit, true of heart. And it was glorious just to let the man work. And, uh, we laughed, we cried. It was extraordinary. And our audiences, couldn't pinpoint what they were feeling, but they knew they were they were in the presence of something otherworldly. Otherworldly, yes. And yes. Um, the sadness of Brent, though, because he walked that fine line. I think he was a genius, but Brent had trouble with the ordinariness of life. You know, he was so happy when he was on stage that I think in his normal life he he wasn't he was uncomfortable and um he's just an extraordinary man i I can go on and on for him but it was it's those eyes i keep thinking about his blue eyes and the way they would just there was something you would just get lost in his eyes and when he was on stage i don't know there's just something i i I don't don't know know what it is but you know you've been you you you've been changed you you've you shared that energy which you don't feel with a lot of people. Uh, the man was a star and the man was a friend and uh, uh, he'll be sorely missed. Absolutely. What is your advice, uh, Avery? You've worked with so many actors. You still are an actor. You're a director. It sounds like you really, li- I love the way you, you talk about directing. It's so amazing. What advice do you have for young artists and for directors in musical theater? Well, it's the same with, the, I think, all type of theater. And it really goes back to... Uh, 
a life lesson, Judy. I know that I, I, that's why I love the title of your show so much, Finding Your Bliss, because I think that's what it's about. You know, I, the advice I have for young actors is that if this is something that you're thinking of that you have doubts about, don't follow that because it's, you're, you're cheating yourself. I mean, you have to want this more than anything. And because it, it's not an easy, it's not an easy career. But I think, uh, actors, our young actors look on the outside of themselves, you know. I think sometimes you, I mean, you can read Stanislavski and Vielda Spolden and Michael Shurtleff and all those great theater books. But if you want to really be the best actor you can be, the best director, like getting out of your own way, is to read the Marianne Williamses and stuff and start finding the best that lives in you. Because if the best you lives in you, that's the only thing you'll be able to draw upon as an actor. You can only draw upon life experience. So start finding what makes you happy inside. Because once you find that inner light, you can hold on to it and let it branch out. And that's, and that's the ride. And that's, that's where that will take you. So uh, among, along with your technique, yes, you have to study voice and stuff like that. But the muscle you have to study is your brain too, to know that conscious choice comes from you. And the more you know about yourself and love yourself, the more you can draw upon and the more you can be a better actor and director and person in life. What beautiful advice. Wow. What is bliss for Avery Saltzman? Bliss is, bliss is being my authentic self, Judy. Bliss is uh, um, uh, loving my day to day. Bliss is surrendering, giving my, you know, day up to and accept what comes into my life. Bliss is performing. Bliss is my husband. Bliss is my family and my brothers. Bliss is my friend. Bliss is just being, uh, being in the moment. Really, just try, not, not, it's not every day. It, it's still tough. It's not the easiest thing, but I just try to be present. That's the gift I try to give myself every day. And it's a, it's a, it's a journey and it's a, it's, it's a great blissful journey. I find you have a real joie de vivre about you. I've always noticed this. Thank and you. You really emit this joie de vivre that makes people feel good. And I don't know what that has to do with all of it, but I just wanted to mention that because I thank you. I think you make people very, very happy. I, I know you're pivoting during COVID beautifully. What are some of the things that you're offering during this time? And do you have any plans um, for the Harold Green Jewish Theater for next season? Well, thank you for asking. Yes, like, I mean, we're, it's, it's tough to reinvent yourself. I mean, everybody's just trying to do the same things. I mean, we have a great concert series coming up. I'm doing one on October 25th. I'll be singing my favorite songs. Um, mm. uh, Amy Skye is doing one for us. Our conversation series is coming back. Me and David host chats with people we we have a series of radio plays coming up we're going to be doing a hanukkah show uh we're, we're going to be doing workshops and stuff so and we want we're going to be doing um israeli works and polish works and russian works we're doing a shalom aleichem series we really want to be a portal to jewish culture so i think that's until we come back live uh that's the journey we'll be taking just to become that uh, become that portal and be uh and let our subscribers and donors and sponsors anybody who out there who believes in Jewish culture to come knocking on our door and uh and see great product at the Harold Green Jewish Theater Company. That's so. It sounds like such a rich evocative season. You know, even in spite of what's happening with COVID, that's fantastic. What is the best way for people to follow you, Avery, on social media and to subscribe, support, and be part of the Harold Green Jewish Theater? The best thing to do, Judy, is to go onto our website, www.hgjewishtheater, T-H-E-A-T-R-E, 
dot com and you'll find out uh everything about us how to donate how to be a sponsor how to be a donor uh and where to find all our virtual um uh, productions that we'll be doing in the uh, fall and the winter and into next year that's awesome we're going to go on a short commercial break and we come back avery salson is going to sing us out of the show for one last time as this week's featured artist back in a moment Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you, continuing to provide remote consultations. And there's exciting news. With the easing of government restrictions, CREATE has resumed services for fertility testing and treatments. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740 FM 96.7. And for one last time, we're going to hear Avery Saltzman sing one of my favorite songs that he does. And that is If I Were a Rich Man from, uh, of course, from Fiddler on the Roof. And this is just an excerpt from the song to close out the show. And I, I, I will, I'll thank you again after, but let's, let's have a listen to If I Were a Rich Man. My wife, my golden, looking like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin, supervising meals to her heart's delight. I'd see her putting on ears and strutting like a peacock. Oi, what a happy mood she's in. Screaming at the servants day and night. The most important men in town will come to fawn on me. They will ask me to advise them. Like Solomon the wise, if you please, Reptavia, pardon me. Reptavia, causing problems that will cross a rabbi's eyes. Bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye bye, bye. And it wouldn't make one bit of difference if I answer right or wrong. When you're rich, 
they think you really know. If I were rich, I'd have the time that I lack to sit in the synagogue and pray. Maybe have a seat by the eastern wall. And I discuss the holy books with the learned men seven hours every day. That would be the sweetest thing of all. If I were a rich man, all day long I biddy biddy bum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. Lord, who made the lion and the lamb? You decreed I should be what I am. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan? If I were a wealthy Wow, Avery, that was fantastic. I wish we had a crowd Thank here you. applauding. And what's so cool, and I want to tell my listeners, is that was done at your in your own home on your piano, and you just put that together. So I'm impressed. Yeah. That's- that's really great. I want to thank you so much, Avery Saltzman. It's really been delightful having you here today. Well, Judy, this was a pleasure for me and a gift for me. So I, I thank you so much. It was, uh, I, I loved every minute of it. I'm so happy. Me too. Each week we spotlight a singer, singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you are a singer and you want to be considered to appear on Finding Your Bliss Radio, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. Also, we encourage you to visit our online magazine at www.findingyourbliss.com. And of course, for the latest and the greatest, follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. And also... So many more things coming up. I want to say one more time that, Avery, your website is? Oh, www. <laughs> I was informed by your voice. www.hgjewishtheater.com. That's fantastic. I would like to thank Avery Saltzman, uh, who was our exclusive guest for the hour. And a big thank you to our supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, production manager, Siobhan Kiley, PA researcher and editor, Haley Allegia, audio producer, Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility center. I would love to close out the show with a short quote from Oprah Winfrey. Know what sparks the light in you, then use that light to illuminate the world. For all of us here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to find your spark and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.